0: From Dr. Peter Pronovost, you're listening to Micro Moments with Peter.
1: Welcome back to another
0: episode of Micro Moments with Peter, where we work to leverage the power of love within and between people to radically transform health and healthcare. Today, we're joined by the wonderful Dr. Batul Hadapoglu. Dr. Hadapoglu is a professor of medicine at Case Western Reserve School of Medicine, vice chair at UH System Clinical Affairs, medical director of the Center for Diabetes and Metabolic Care, and the Mary B. Lee Chair in Adult Endocrinology at University Hospital's Cleveland Medical Center. We're so excited to have you on the podcast today, Batool. Um, Every time that I hear you speak about your work, the joy that I can feel behind your words is just palpable. And so I am so excited for our listeners to get to experience that passion and enthusiasm that you have. So I will pass
1: it over to Peter and we'll take it away. Thank you. Thanks, Kelsey. Batool, thanks for being here. And amongst your many other titles, I'm honored to include a friend and a dear colleague. And I was so delightful when you joined us um, at UH. And Batul, I wanna go back to maybe it was our first meeting where you you were talking about your passion about diabetes and we were both opining upon the current success of diabetes or most specialty practices if the specialist clinic is full. And that was success. I mean, literally it was the market. We didn't really have outcomes. We didn't even know what the demand for services. We just knew if your clinic was good. And we discussed how in our ACO, there's 54,000 people with diabetes and they all need care. We need to make sure they're all controlled. And we challenged us to say, Batul, let's design a care system that cares for all of them equally. And I mean, it's just brilliant what you've done to accomplish that and really pivoting care away from being specialty centered to organized around patients' needs and anchored in primary care. So maybe share with us a little bit about what you've done and what you've learned and um, what the future holds.
0: Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for having me here. And I will never forget the moment you asked me the question when you were we were having that conversation before I joined UH telling me that, yes, you are great. You can take care of what? 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 patients. What if I told you, you need to fix 60,000 patients?
1: And, and you didn't quit.
0: <laughs> no, that was a seller. That was the moment I said, I love this. yes. That's what I wanna do. What would you do? And this is really um, the time where, where you remove yourself from unknown territory and experiment in unknown territory, understand the needs and how you could serve. You look at the numbers of diabetic in the United States, it's approximately 35 million Americans. You look at the numbers of endocrinologists in the United States, 6,500. And you take a deep breath and say, how are we gonna do this? And we know if you have endocrinologists involved in the care, we know it's more success. So it's not about removing the endocrine care. It's about how can you achieve their expertise and wisdom involved and weaved into the care of all these individuals that needs them. And that's what we did, Peter, together with the help of a team and collaboration of our colleagues. I have to really remind ourselves that everybody was on board. They wanted to do the best that will serve the highest benefits and the good of everyone involved. That's what we did. So it was impossible to see these patients, but it was possible to look at their care and design what we thought would benefit them. It was impossible to have everybody see educators, to have everybody see PharmDs, to have everybody see an endocrine nurse practitioner, but it was possible to look at the care that that individual patient needed and assign the person for them. we made it possible to give an endocrinologist wisdom and knowledge, transfer to the primary care and transform the care of the patients.
1: Wow, well, beautiful. Tell me a little bit more how you did it because I know you weren't even physically seeing these patients, it was, but it allowed your productivity, meaning how many patients could get your benefits to, to just go up, you know, 100-fold, so tell us a little about what that was like. It
0: was about really the help of our um, data management and your team giving us the list of different patients who needed us the most. And then going into their chart, really reviewing as a team, my team, to understand what could be the missing link. What was the gap in the care of this specific patient and figuring it out, it, either change in medication, add medication, education, care coordination, uh, form D access to medications, you know, psychosocial, and and maybe referring to psychiatry our team, or referring them to cardiovascular metabolic health team. So we just looked around each each um, chart because of our background and our experience already this was very easy and quick for us we were just
1: how many how many minutes did it take per chart on average
0: on average we could really go through a chart in less than five minutes to know and then deciding what to do in some complicated cases it takes us a little bit longer but honestly, within a five to seven minutes, the max, we could assign an appropriate um, education or care uh, program for a specific patient and just implement it and tell the primary care, of course, would you agree with this? And they. If they do, they implement it. And then we also facilitate it uh, and make it faster for access. If a patient needed education and if the primary care was on board, we made sure that patient got the education appointment fast and immediately if they needed endocrine, we just, just get them in. So it was not only deciding what they needed, but also making sure they received what they needed on time.
1: But, as you know, in our work, we often say change progresses at the speed of trust and trust grows when we do things with rather than to people. You know, this intervention, a key part of it was the trust between you and your team and primary care physicians, because oftentimes there's tension between specialists and and they've been really receptive to your work. Maybe share a little bit about how you built that trust.
0: Yes, and I think. Um, that is an extremely important part. And I love when you uh, remind people about that point, that we have to do it with them and not to them. And this goes to everybody, with the team members that you work with, with the patients we work with. And primary care, at the beginning, didn't understand necessarily why we were doing something like this right and we had moments you you
1: know that's a really important point because in so much of our work what we call these defects in value or gaps in care are invisible to clinicians i mean everybody thinks they're well-intentioned and they're doing the good thing but they're not necessarily looking at the data that you are to say no no this patient's a1c is really high
0: Yes, they are busy, they are themselves overwhelmed, perhaps drowning in the data that they are getting every day, and they don't always see it. So we made it visible, and we were there to support them. We became their extension, rather than a micromanaging person telling them what to do or what was not going well. As you said, it was trust building, and they loved it. At the end, honestly, they absolutely love it because we weren't interfering what we, they were trying to do. We were supporting what they needed to do. That was all. We didn't ask anything more than that. We were just there for them. And that trust building was a key key um, success, perhaps, point for, for this program.
1: Well, you know, but too, we often say the secret of great care is love and love is the energy that uplifts and connects. And I can almost feel the energy. I know when I meet with your team, I feel it because you're right. Like this wasn't viewed as down. I think you aligned around a common purpose, meaning the patient and they felt your respect for them. And it was just a beautiful demonstration of what's powerful.
0: Yes, isn't that true? The feeling and bringing the humanitarian piece of care is how I feel perhaps we have lost a little bit in medicine today from different reasons, no one's fault perhaps. But when you bring the change to the physicians or healthcare providers who has their heart in serving humanity, their heart in healing people, that's why they join this business of healing the medicine. When you bring it in that angle, everyone realizes this is win-win. This is not punishment. This is not necessarily making me feel like i have done a bad job this is acknowledging and respecting i don't have everything in my power to help these individuals and they are just help, coming to my help and my patients help so bringing the humanity the the emotional peace to the people are extremely important i want to share with you this recent experience i had with the pathologist recently at uh And I don't know this pathologist. She definitely didn't know who the heck I was. And I, that hallowed her about a patient I have been following for the last 10 years who had actually thyroid biopsy. Even though I was following her for diabetes, I noticed a thyroid nodule. And her mother also has a thyroid cancer. So I talked to this pathologist. I said, hey, the pathologist sounds very confusing to me. And this patient's mom has thyroid cancer. I really need to know what to do. And you know, this individual went beyond and above. I would have expected to help me and my patient. Do things that I absolutely did not think she would do for me and my patient. That was the connection, the click when you bring in a a presence of this human being that needs our help, and everybody jumps in. Everybody's in the same boat then.
1: But your story reminds me of this example of Death Valley, which is, you know, the driest, deadliest, most desolate place on earth with the hottest temperatures, and it gets preciously little rainfall. But in 2004, it got a few inches of fluke storm. And a month later, that desolate place was a bloom with a carpet of multicolor wildflowers, right? And it's just that the picture is stunning, you could look it up. Um, But what is so amazing about that, you say, how could that happen? Well, the rain didn't bring the seeds. Those seeds were always there in that valley, just like the seeds are in every one of us. like because it loves just innate in us. All they needed is a little bit of water or a little bit of you know, nurturing, and they bloomed. And so well, but Joel, the human part is amazing and essential. But I'm also blown away by your results because we don't have large population health studies that show you could turn the needle. So tell me about your results because I think it's probably the biggest uh study that we have of impact.
0: Oh, you know how I feel about that. I am beyond myself uh, with happiness. When I sat down with the statistician, I was so nervous. I'm like, what is he gonna tell me? Because it wasn't about also changing the way we take care of it, but it was also showing that the change had an impact, that we really were able to improve, right, the hemoglobin A1C and other parameters, perhaps. So, yes, we have 1,000 patients that we intervened in the last one year. We have... um, Around 700 of them, we have the results. And it's statistically significant. We made an improvement in their HA1Cs, more than 1.5%. Wow, which is profound. It is profound. You should see the results. I am so happy, not only that, we changed the lives of 1,000 patients without seeing them. We touched them. In in, in, in this new way of looking at the care, but also it was scientifically impactful.
1: Yeah, and, and, but to tell the readers or the audience a little bit about a 1% reduction in A1C, what does that translate into in, in outcomes or cost?
0: You know, the cost, uh, uh, the ways that um, I can't remember the, the numbers right now, but I, I can thought it was around
1: 14 or 15% reduction in, in their cost from uh, if we get an A1C down. I mean, it's profound.
0: It's profound because when you think about the cost in the United States of the diabetes is $294 billion spent. <sighs> One out of $4, dollars, $1 out of $4 dollars spent for healthcare goes to diabetes and its complications.
1: Okay, so so, so Batul, now is your next challenge. I'm glad you got the UH thing done because how, how do we address those millions or billions of people with diabetes in the world? And I want you to think because I think we've proven we have a scalable model with humans, but what's the potential for automating these decision rules, uh, perhaps with oversight, but using some machine learning models where we automate it so that we could democratize excellence, your excellence to the world?
0: Thank you, Peter. Yes, and that is our next step, right? This is what now we are thinking. We are modeling it specifically with primary care, a few of our primary care groups right now to see if what we have done and what we created, can they actually come up with their own, the same decision-making, with the way we build it. And we are going to test that. And I'm very happy to really um, announce that I also uh, have been contacted by um, artificial intelligence uh, a system that might be interested to uh, try to see if we can put it in some kind of an automated model. And as you said, though, I think it will be important to have some kind of balances and checks um, to make sure that uh, the systems are going to work. But uh, when you're dealing with Um, 34 uh, million, 35 million just in the US and much more in the whole uh, world, uh, with expectation of one out of uh, two is going to be diabetic in the next 30 years in the world. We definitely need something automated.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow. But, too, this is just breathtaking. And, you know, I think it also, reminds us of the need to evolve away from this fee-for-service where we think the best use of you or an endocrinologist is in a, is in your clinic seeing, you know, a thousand patients a year rather than screening these patients. And we have to find a way to support and sustain these models because the impact on patients is profound and it's, it's the kind of things we should be paying for.
0: Yes, and that is extremely important. Recognition by the payers, paying systems in different countries, including in the United States, to understand that this care model is valuable and needs to be perhaps um, taken over, but instead of the fee. Uh, per service because at this point I am able to maybe provide this for UH because of UH's generosity to us. But and our commitment to population healthy. health. Correct. And mm. it's really um, needs to be recognized outside as well.
1: Well, Batul, this has been an honor and I'm so glad that our first meeting where you accepted the challenge to care for 54,000 and we have a model now to scale that and get that done. So, on to the 34 million in the US uh, (laughs) with your model.
0: Thank you, Peter. It was absolutely a great journey.